The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, this evening we're focusing once again on rental property law. And joining me in our Cape Town studios this evening is attorney Ismail Mohammed, And he's an associate at Marlon Chevalu and Associates here in Cape Town. Hi, Ismail. Welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Thank you, Karen. Happy to be here. It's- it's rather nice to have you back. Just a reminder that if you need any information regarding the Law Report, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Law on SAFM. There's also a link there on the Facebook page if you'd like to download a podcast of the show. If you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on law at safm.co.za. And if you have any questions or comments, you can call us now on 0892 the Law Report with Karen Key. Well, we have just two emails to deal with this evening. So if you want to call, you can call us now and leave your name and number. And my producer will call you back as soon as we're done with these two emails. The number once again, 0892 2010. The first email was from Anthony. He says, I'm subletting a property in Funderbale Park. The occupants of the main house rented and paid rental through an estate agency and were never in arrears with payments. The sheriff of the court then served the occupants of the main building and the owners with court papers stating that the property has been attached by the bank. No auction date has been set. And Anthony has two questions. He says, the owners obviously never paid the bond. Do we have a claim against the owners or the estate agent for breach? And what are our rights? And do we have to find alternative accommodation? And he says, in addition, who do the occupants of the main building pay rent to? Do I continue to pay rent to them? Well, Karen, the first answer to look at this would be, what are the rights of the tenant? Right Now, to determine that, we need to look at the fact that he says he's subletting. Now, we've got to ask... Does he have the right to sublet? In other words, the initial tenant, do they have the right to sublet to someone else? If they do not, then unfortunately, the subletee would have no claim against anyone for any damages suffered because he's not supposed to be there in the first place. So would the owner have to, would the owner have to be the one that would have to do a, a lease agreement with the subletting tenant? If there was no right on the initial tenant to sublet. Okay, yes. but if, if the owner said to the tenant, you're welcome to sublet whatever extra space there is, and then the, the tenant could then quite legally sublet it. Then it's, there's no problem okay. whatsoever. Then he can sublet, and the actual lessee can then make some money on that. So for this scenario, let's take it that subletting is allowed. Now, from my understanding of the facts of this case is that the sub lessee is paying rental to the lessee and the lessee is paying rental to the landlord. The landlord, however, is not paying the bond. And based on that, there's now been an attachment and there's going to be an auction, although the date has not been set yet. Now, the well, Anthony wants to know, does he have a claim against the estate agent or the owner? Against the estate agent, no. The estate agent has done nothing wrong. They have no knowledge of the finances of the landlord. And from what we can see here, they haven't done anything wrong. So They were just accepting the rental. They were accepting the rental and paying it over to the landlord. What the landlord did with that money has nothing to do with the agent. So the agent cannot be held liable for anything. Does he have a claim against the owner? In a sense, yes. As I said, we're taking... If it's we, legal, we're that under he the assumption subletting. that he, mm. he can sublet. Then 
if there's a fixed-term lease agreement in place and now he's going to lose that right of occupation due to the auction, because many of the auctions now, part of the conditions of sale is that there is no lease that comes along with the sale. Now the lessee and the sublease are going to lose their right to occupation, which means they are going to suffer some damage. They will have to find alternative accommodation, they will have moving costs and so on. So in that sense, yes, they will have a right of to claim damages against the owner. The question that I would then ask, if this was, if Anthony was sitting in my office for a consultation, I would then say, his house is being attached by the bank. What money does he have for us to go after a judgment? To mm. What would we recover against? So in law, yes, we can recover, or we can have a claim, and we can get a judgment. But what would we recover against? So because if he had know, money, he'd be paying the bond. Exactly. So mm. you need to make a commercial decision based on that. But in law, yes, there is definitely a claim. The uh, another part of the question is: in addition, who do the occupants of the main building pay rent to? Well, as it stands now, the landlord is still the registered owner of the house. Although there's been an attachment that will now be sold in execution, then we will have a new owner. So as it stands, they have to continue paying the rental. And the sub lessee will have to continue paying his rent until the such time, time as it's sold. Until the time that he leaves. Oh, or it is sold. Okay, because he says also, do we have to find alternative accommodation? I would suggest he does have to find alternative accommodation. Look, there's always a chance that somebody buys it on auction as an investment. They take it that there is a lease in place, there are lessees paying the rental, and he allows them to stay. However, we have another, let's say, 50% chance that it's someone who wants to move in. If this person buys it and wants to move in, there's no lease in place, he's fully within his right to bring an eviction application against the tenants. My advice would be find alternative accommodation. Just to be on the safe side. You don't want to end up on the street because those auctions happen quite quickly. Unfortunately for Mm. innocent parties, they can find themselves in a world of hurt because of this. Yeah. So, Anthony, not not all that much in the way of good news, I'm afraid. I hope that answered all your questions. If you have any questions, 0892-102010, 0892-102010. Our second email was from Bernard, and he says, I purchased what was previously a hotel room, converted to sectional title and sold by the developer. There's one... there's only one registered condition for owners and tenants. You have to be 50 years or over to take occupation. Suitable house rules have been issued. However, every now and then, the trustees change these conditions. The latest is that the trustees now wish to introduce a rule where you have to give 14 days notice and request permission to have a visitor stay over and then for a limited period only. Another proposed change is to prevent you from any activities within your sectional title unit to earn an income. Most changes refer to obtaining approval from a trustee. And Bernard says, I wonder if it could not lead to favoritism and possible bribes. Personally, he says, I feel it's being an, it's an infringement on my personal rights. Could you advise on the above issues of concern? Okay, well, Bernard, looking at this, I wouldn't immediately jump onto the bandwagon of the favoritism and possible bribes, or even so much as the fact that he brings up personal rights. This is a sectional title question. When it comes to sectional title, we must look at the sectional title act. That's the be-all and end-all of sectional title law. And unfortunately, many people don't know that the sectional title act does not make any provision for house rules. There are only two types of rules. There are management rules and there are conduct rules. Now, management rules can be changed or created through a unanimous resolution of all the members of the body corporate. 
where conduct rules can be amended or created through a special resolution of the members of the body corporate, which is a 75% majority of all of them voting in favor. The House rules find no effect whatsoever. From the information before me, I don't see that the rules being created by the trustees are either a management rule or a conduct rule. It's so, simply a house rule. As such, it will have no effect. So if the trustees are saying that a house rule is that you may not earn an income or you must ask for 14 days notice and request permission to have a visit to stay over, they cannot, they cannot enforce these rules. You may earn an income. You may have a visit to show up on 24 hours notice or immediately. And if they were to levy a fine against you for that, it would be of no force and effect. If, if, if it was a registered rule, then it would be a force and effect, but that would have to go through a resolution first. Now, this thing about the registered condition for owners and tenants, you have to be 50 years or over. He says it's a registered condition, so that would be okay. That one's okay. That one's okay. Okay. But anything above it, I don't see it being registered as such. It will have no effect. Because it starts off by saying suitable house rules have been issued. So possibly in the beginning they were pretty okay kind of you know conduct things and you know general things that people would expect the, the general way that house rules work is the trustees come together usually with consultation or without consultation of the members and they create certain rules in other words for example the front gate is to be locked after 11 o'clock mm. in in the evening and you know which, to is, control, fair which, which is safety and security essentially and nobody has a problem with these rules everybody abides by these rules but it doesn't change the fact that it's not an enforceable or an actionable rule. Now, it's not even a, these aren't even reasonable in my view. These ones are not reasonable and they are not registered. Therefore, completely okay, unenforceable. Okay, so Bernard, they can't enforce this. And as, as Ismail says, you can't expect people to give you two weeks' notice when you want a visitor. I mean, this is insane. It, it doesn't not mean, make it's sense. ridiculous. <laughs> and then, you know. <clears throat> you can't earn a living. Okay, like there are, there's some things. Okay, you can't sort of run a workshop in your flat and have saws and grinders and things going all times of the day and night. That would be a problem. That would be a problem. But you can't, a body corporate cannot, or under these circumstances, stop him from leasing out his premises to someone else. Or even if he's sort of working from home, doing something quietly on his computer and earning an income, they can't stop you they from doing that. They cannot stop you from that. It would be completely illegal to try to stop him from earning that income. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Bernard, you're in, uh, looking like you're in, a, in the pound seats here. It doesn't sound like they have much way to enforce any of those suitable house rules. Suitable house suitable rules. Suitable house rules. Abraham in Durban, good evening. Good evening, man. Hi, how can we help you, Abraham? Uh, I just want to ask a question to, you, to your guest. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I work for a non-profit organization, and this organization owns a property. And we've got some tenants that are staying on the property and they don't have a lease. For about 20 years they have been staying there and they are paying their rentals as well. And uh, our, we need to, we need to uh, move them because we want to use the property for our educational purposes. And uh, uh, according to them, the property has a sentimental value for them and they won't be able to move from the property even if you give them notice. I have to know if you give them notice, will will we be able to move them from the property? The bottom line is there that yes, you will. If the non-profit organization is the registered owner of the property, then it does have full right to the property. 
In other words, it can choose who can and cannot remain in occupation. Uh, you further stated that there's no lease agreement in place. Is that yes. correct? So, in other words, you don't have anything written and signed by the parties, the tenant and landlord, for example. Yes. So, if that's the case, then what you are, you are essentially on a month-to-month -month lease agreement. Now, any month-to-month -month lease agreement is terminable on one calendar month's notice. For example, we are now on the 26th of August. If you were to give them notice now, that notice would be that their tenancy will not continue as of the 30th of September 2013. That would be one calendar month's notice from now. At that time, they will then be deemed unlawful occupiers in terms of the Pi Act. And once you are deemed an unlawful occupier, an eviction application may be brought against you. And based on that, the court will most likely grant an order that they vacate. I say most likely because we've got to look at the rest of the circumstances as well. The one that you know, stands out the most is you say they've been there for 20 years, 20 years which is an exceptionally long time. Now, the yeah. fact that they have sentimental value, that's, that's not going to sway the court. But the fact that they've been there for a prolonged time, we've now got to look at what type of people are they. Are they well-off people? Are they indigent people? Are they elderly? Are they children? Disabled, maybe? Mm -hmm. You know, these are, are all factors the court's uh, going to take into are, account. They are employed. Mm -hmm. But they owned that property about 20 years ago, and it went on an auction, and somebody else bought it. But they are living on their family property, which the previous owners allowed them to live there. And we have been, you know, letting them to use the property for about three years. But now we want to start our educational activities there, where we'll be having aftercare center and so on for, for, yes. for, from grade one to grade five. That's why we need to move them out. Okay, let's, let's just go back. Let's, let's he just said go they've back only quickly. allowed him to live yes. there for three years. Now, <clears throat> so in other words, your non-profit bought the, prom the, the premises about three years ago. Yes, that's correct. And at that time, there were talks they between you and them and that we, they may remain. We didn't move them. They, they carried on living there because we didn't need them to move from there. Okay, so essentially, you've only allowed them occupancy for for three years. That yes, does make your argument slightly easier. Anything because they have been paying their rental, you know, up to date every month. Mm, they mm. pay. On you time. see, in in a case like this, rental is not the deciding factor, because they yes. don't have a written lease. Had they been in a written lease, in a fixed-term lease agreement, and they were paying the, the rental on time, then you would have no way to get them out because there would be no material breach. Until the lease was Until up. the lease was up, or they stopped paying, or mm. they committed some other material breach. In this yes. case, the fact that they're paying rental is a fact in their favor, in that they are complying with their obligations. However, the relationship can be terminated on one calendar month's notice. So, yes, you can bring an eviction application against them if and the non-profit can take we'll occupation. Court and, uh, you know, more or less, how long will, that, will it take for the court to grant us the eviction order? Okay, that's a, that's a tricky question to answer. As I said, you first have to give them a month's notice, which yes. means that you're already one month into the process before you can formally launch in court. So, if you launch at the beginning of October... Remember, yeah. the end of September is when the occupancy becomes unlawful. Look, they might just be nice people and, and 
move. If they if they leave within the month, you know that, okay. that, that's okay. Then you know you've you've got your premises back. However, if you are forced to go to court, you'll only be able to launch in the beginning of October, which means you can most likely only appear in court, or your attorney can only appear in court the beginning of November, or very close to that time. At that time, the matter must then be argued. Now, I'm not going to get into the, you know, all the different aspects of what the argument can be and what the time limits and what the court's going to look at on granting postponements on that. But it is possible for the matter to be delayed in court for at least a month before argument, which means you argue the beginning of December and then the court will make a determination. If the matter's unopposed, in other words, they don't come to court, the order can be granted at the beginning of October and, oh, sorry, the beginning of November, and they will most likely be out the end of November. If it's opposed, you can find yourself in court for up to, well, find them in the premises for up to six months before an order is carried out. So you've got to be very careful as to when you launch and on what grounds you launch. And it is very important to have one attorney maybe as, as to advise us. Absolutely. 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 But Ibrahim, your first your first thing is to give them <clears throat> just as the N, as the NGO, just to give them their one month's notice. That's your first step that you can do by yourselves. That is the most important step. Because remember your case is going to be built on whether or not they are deemed to be unlawful occupiers. If you have not given them the prescribed notice, in other words, the one calendar month, they will not be seen as unlawful occupiers and your application will not be successful. So it's very important that you give them that notice to start off with. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Good luck, Abraham. Good luck to you. Good night. If you have any questions for us, we're talking about rental property law. You can call us on 0892-102010. And my guest tonight is attorney Ismail Mohammed. He's an associate at Marlon Chevalier and Associates practicing here in Cape Town. Ismail in Kwakwa, good evening. Good evening, ma'am. How are you? Very well. How are you? Oh, thanks, thanks, man. Uh, man. My question is just so short. Uh, if I had a property, can you hear? Yes, me? we can hear yes. you, Ismail. Uh, if I had a property, then it happens that I uh, I was incarcerated. Is there any possibility of uh, people who are outside, maybe my spouse or my family? to sell my property without my consent or any affidavit made. Can I have advice on that? So just let's straight, um, Ismail, you were incarcerated. You, yeah. you owned the property. Yes, was, it, was it in your name? Yeah, the, the property is in my name. It's the house and the other things and so on. Okay, now and, they and have what, sold what? the house and the stands. And now I never got anything. It was sold by my wife. While and you were incarcerated, but... How could she sell it if it wasn't even in her name? Was was it registered I, 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 in your name? It's, not, um, it's me. You, uh, the people who did the body and the people who were, uh, because it's the things of the kings and all those things. How did they give an uh, uh, agreement on that? Because he has put, uh, they have written a letter and the king has put the, the stamp on so this was a traditional sort of this 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 was done through the traditional. Yes, yes, ma'am. Okay, so it was the king. Yeah, it was the king who gave them the 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 the, 
the authority. Okay. Uh, the first question there is, were you the registered owner of the house? Or were you simply yeah, 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 holding on to occupation? In my this... name. But now the, the, the thing is, we, I cannot now find the, the, that certificate. Now I have to, they have to make me a new certificate. Now they deny to make me a new certificate. They said, no, I must take the matter to uh, a head chief. Okay, I'm... Was this registered at a deeds office? Did you have a bond on this property? What was the story, Ismail? Uh, I have... Sorry, ma'am. Did you... Was this property registered in your name at the deeds office? Or was it, it done... It is registered in my name. It's my own stands and a house. No, but I'm trying to find out if it was done through the deeds office or was it just done through the chiefs? No, no it was registered already. So it was done with a lawyer and through uh, through the deeds office. No, to yeah, to the deeds office. Okay, so if it was done through the deeds office, then if you are the legal registered owner of the house, yes, sir. then they should not be able to sell it out under you. So my question would then be: the sale that went through was that a proper sale? Because no, it's it, one it, thing it for not. them to say. Not. He's, she's saying, no, it's not. See, if, if it's not, a, if it's not a, a proper sale, in other words, if it was registered in your name at the deeds office, then yes, sir. I would imagine that it's still registered in your name at the deeds office, and the sale yes, that sir. took place was something authorized by the king, by the traditional leaders. But yes, that doesn't yes, change yes, the fact that you are still the registered owner, which means that yes. the sale itself is invalid. Remember, a sale of immovable property is... One of the only sales in South African law which must be in writing, which must be registered. It's not simply a case of me walking in and giving you, you know, a suitcase full of money and you letting me move in. It's got to be registered. It needs a conveyance to do a registration. So in that what, sense, what, what, what I would suggest I... you do is instead of approaching the, the king or, you know, the, the chiefs, Approach yes. the, the deeds office where the registration took place. Determine yes. there whether registration has changed or whether registration has stayed in your name. Because if yes. it has stayed in your name, then the house is still yours. The fact okay. that somebody else paid for the house is unfortunately not his problem. Not your problem. And a damages claim that they will have against the seller. And yes, you are yes. from what you're Thank telling you. me, you are not the seller. Yes. So no, I understand. And because they only have only the that uh, agreement letter only. They don't even the the, the, the one that owns the, the, the property now, he doesn't have the the letter because I still got the letter in me. So they just gave you a letter saying that they gave your wife permission to to sell the house. But the letter was not there. No, but I'm saying so I don't know. Did your wife that, just get a letter from the chiefs to say that she could sell your house? No, she, she, she didn't. She just write an agreement and then they go there and then they ask for the chief to put a stamp on it. So she just wrote it in agreement between herself and the person she sold supposedly sold the house, house to? Just like, just like that. Man. That's not legal. If, that, if, if that's exactly what happened, then that's not a valid sale. The house, yes. if it's still registered in your name, is still your house. That's the uh, bottom uh. line. But Thank now, have they, have, they, have they moved into the house, Ismail? 
Um, they have already moved into the house. Well, then you're going to sit with having to try and evict them now, which is a nightmare. But you're going to, you, you, you can actually, yeah, it, it, by all accounts, it sounds like it's your, still your house. Yeah, if it's your house, if you sold it to the registered owner, you have full right to bring an eviction application against them. If they want oh, to use the sale you. as a defense, unfortunately for them, it's not going to hold up in a court of law. The registered yes. owner has full right. You have not given them any right to occupation. There's no lease. There's nothing. There's no sale agreement. There's no nothing. That's the bottom oh, line. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Oh, you, you, uh, sound, you sound happy. I know what to start and where to go now. Okay, deeds office is your first call, Esma. I'm sorry? The, the deeds office is your first po- stop. Yeah, it's my first stop. Okay, but you sound okay. a lot happier now than when you phoned us. I, I'm not... You sound a lot happier now than when you phoned us. When we spoke to you at the biggest start now, you sound a lot happier now. Now I find that now I'm very happy. I'm very happy because now I know where to go now. Great. Well, then we're happy to help. Good luck to you, Ismail. Have a good evening. Thank you very, very, very much. Only a pleasure. A pleasure. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Gosh, that's actually quite bizarre. I mean, okay, well, my husband's sitting in jail, um, but you can buy the house. He has a piece of paper. You know, find have the house. I mean, bizarre. Unfortunately, it's a reality that's happening out there. Mm. You know, a lot of sellers and buyers don't understand what the legalities of these, you know, sales of immobile mm. property are. And we don't only find it in situations like this. Another place we find it is between parents and children. You know, the eldest son or the second son or the baby will, well, when I say baby, you know, the, youngest, the youngest, yeah. okay. would say that, you know, let me buy the house. I'm living with you or I'll look after you in your old age. Let me give you 100,000 rand for the house. They pay the parents. Parents pass away without a will, and then, you know, that child wants to say, the house is mine. Unfortunately, the house was registered in the parent's name, and now it becomes inheritance. Everybody and if there's gets, no will, it gets split up between everybody. Exactly what happens. Mm. So, Another reason why you should have a will. Another reason why you should have a will, and another reason why you should speak to your attorney before you buy the house. Not Pretty much. Not after you run into trouble. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, do yourself out of a job here, Ismail. Oops. Right, no, stop doing that. Okay, <laughs> off to Salt River. Shiham, good evening. Hi, good evening to you. Hi, how can we help, Shaham? I've got a bit of a problem, uh, quite a big one too. Okay. I um, take occupation of a property in 2003. Um, I've actually signed a sale of an agreement with a seller who's inherited the property from his late dad. And there are other siblings as well. But other than that, I have actually um, been told that there's a chance that he might want to take his property back from me after we've signed the agreement. Who so signed, main, who um, signed the agreement? and the seller. When did you sign this, Shaham? 2003. Oh. Okay, now the first question is, who's the seller? The seller is um, the, the person that inherited the property, uh, Mr. Hanafi. Okay, so you say that one of the siblings inherited the house. Yes. Was the estate the estate properly wound up? Um, according to, to his attorneys, the estate has been wound up because we've actually signed over with his attorneys, you see. Um, it was all done legally. Um, when I initially said to his attorney at the time, I'm going to um, sort of find myself an attorney that could go through the documentation, he said to me, not to worry, uh, Mrs. Davids, this should take about three to uh, three to four months for transfer to take place. Mm-hmm. 
And I was kind of desperate, you know, with finding property and yeah. having to move into a property because I had a family to sustain. Um, he then said to me, well, you can take occupation as soon as we've signed the agreement of sale, which I've now done. But it, it's, it's sort of, I mean, it's 10 years later and I'm still yeah. waiting. Okay, you see, the first port of call here is who's the owner? You know, so um, you say he inherited the house. Now, we've, that's why I asked, has the estate been properly wound up? Or if the estate has not been wound up, who was the executor of the estate? Right? Because we've, we've got to look at who has the authority to actually sell the property. So if you're saying that he, uh, the son or whoever inherited the house and the house was transferred into his name, then yes, he can sign the deed of sale. So okay. he will sign as the seller. You obviously sign as the buyer. That's right. So if that's the if that's all that's happened, then you are legally entitled to take transfer of that house. Obviously, you need to pay and so on. But before I say that that's all that can happen, I will have to actually see a deed of sale. Okay, because I do not have a deed of sale. I've only got the agreement of sale. And the deed of sale agreement that that that, that, that would be the contract. Right, because Sorry? remember, a contract can have suspensive conditions. Okay, right? there, there can be certain conditions that can stop sale. The most obvious one would be that I agree to sell you my house provided you can raise the necessary finance, whether it be through a bond or a loan or an investment that you can, however you're going to raise the money. If okay. you're unable to raise the money, then the sale cannot go through. That protects both me and you. So I don't know what suspensive conditions or conditions of sale are actually in your deed of sale in or your agreement. So without seeing that, I can't say why the process has taken 10 years. Yeah. I can't say that he can't cancel the agreement completely. Okay. But generally, once an agreement is signed and all the suspensive conditions have been met, then you are fully entitled to enforce that contract. Okay. So, so you've been living in the house now for 10 years. That's right. And I've, I've been with so many attorneys. I've, I've been advised to actually appoint Errol Gee as well. Um, he's actually taken a look at my documentation as well. I mean, we paid him a fortune. And he initially said to me that he would look into it and he'd get back to me. Um, then he eventually came back to me and said to me, look, Mrs. Davids, um, there is a problem. Oh, it, it's all been five properties on one earth. It's all been consolidated onto mm -hmm. one earth. It's one of these old properties, yes. you know, in Salt River, they've got all these properties where they, you know, one person sort of collected everybody else's money yes. to pay the water, that type of thing. But we have, we've got our own water meter now, we've got our own electricity box. I can't understand what is stopping them from, you know, sort of giving me ownership now. Tell me, are you paying occupational rental on the premises? I'm paying occupational rent, yes. What is his reason for wanting to stop the sale now? They discovered that the house is, you know, of value now. It's worth a lot more than 10 years ago. But, I mean, initially, we signed, we agreed 10 years ago. That was that was what the market was, you know. Mm. The value mm. of the house was at the time because we bought it as a foot steward. And the sad thing is we would have actually packed up in a long time ago. But we were meant to believe we're taking ownership, you know. So we've actually renovated the property already. Did you pay mm. a deposit on this house? Yes, I did. I did pay a deposit. I paid a deposit as well, and I actually came to some agreement, and I said to the seller's um, attorney as well, look, if you guys wanting the property back, 
pay us for what we put into the house because we've basically been taking care of the property. We've been like caretakers mm, then. Mm, mm. You know, we haven't taken ownership. We haven't even touched the bond yet. And you'd, and need, your, got, you'd need your deposit back as well, I'm assuming, with interest. This is what I've been told. I'll get my deposit back with interest, which was not much back 10 years ago, mm, you know. Mm. So we'll be losing out here. Yeah. Okay, Shyam, unfortunately, uh, this is not a case that I can give you a lot of advice on in the forum that we have now. I simply you need don't to have see the, the time and I, and I don't have the necessary information before me. Yes. What I can tell you is if your agreement has been signed, you know, correctly, and from what you're telling me, it has been, and the suspensive conditions are all met, then okay. you should be able to enforce that contract which you can do through an application to court if necessary you can bring what is called a positive interdict in other words forcing the other party to comply with the contract you know forcing them to sign or forcing to 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 do the to allow the transfer to go through but i'm i don't want to give you the advice that that's the next step you need to take because i have not seen the documents i don't have the necessary information I'm with you, Yana. We've complied with everything, you know. We've we've actually eviction letters already from the seller's attorney. Mm, mm. But, you know, when I sort of get in touch with the attorney, he says to me he's not aware of this. He wasn't aware yeah, that this was yeah. taking place. How can they issue an eviction notice on somebody who's pretty much signed a contract to buy the house? Well, yeah, and, the bottom line is there. The attorney isn't told that there's agreement of sale in place. He's told there's a tenant. But the other thing that I find mo- most peculiar is that the seller now wants to uh, wants, um, says the house is worth more money. Well, tough. I mean, it he sold matter. it 10 years ago. He can't now suddenly Absolutely. up the price. If the agreement Absolutely. was signed and the agreement is good in law, and that it can be enforced at, at, those, that, co- at that price on those conditions. Okay. That's the bottom line. Okay. So, Shyam... Uh, our firm details will be on yeah, the Yeah, can I make, on, Shiham, on the if you want if you to, want. I, um, I'll, my producer will take your call back if you like, and he can Brilliant. give you the contact details if you want to get hold of Ishmael. I certainly would love to speak to Ishmael about okay. this matter All and right. put my documentation forward to him. Okay, Shaham, okay, hold the Shaham. line, don't hang up, and um, okay. he'll, my producer <clears throat> will give you all those contact details now. Thank you so much, eh? Thanks Thank a lot. You. Okay, thanks, Shaham. Thank Good you. luck. Okay, bye bye. 10 years waiting for the transfer to go through. That just doesn't sound right. There's it's something really weird going on there. Something, something's going on there. This is something that should have been finalized some ago. time ago. <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> 10 years ago. I don't think I would have had the patience to wait 10 years for transfer to go through. Whether I'm it was sorry. transfer or cancellation of the something. sale, something should have happened 10 years ago. And they're not trying to evict them and they'll tell them, oh, actually, it's worth more now. Well, obviously, 10 years has gone by. Well, from what you she know. says, there's been three eviction notices. What I imagine is happening is the sellers are not informing the attorneys mm. that there is this deed of sale. Probably. They start the proceeding, send off the first notice. She gets in touch with the attorney. The attorney looks at it and he says, well, well we don't actually have grounds for eviction here. Yeah. We're waiting on a transfer. Then we we'll move on to the next waiting. attorney and they move on to the next attorney. That's why they've had three notices. No, I think she must talk to you because I think her life is sounds a little bit of a nightmare. Right. Uh, Tom in Johannesburg, good evening. Yeah, good evening. Hello, how Hello. can we help you? Yeah, um, I want to share about uh, a premises which I rented uh, two years ago, but this one was a business premises. So I took this place, I upgraded the place, and it cost me close to 110000 And uh, within a year, this uh, the landlord, I, it became so unscrupulous, you know, he increases rent, 
increases electricity, water, and when you try to ask him to give a breakdown, he can't even give you anything. So when I tried to make a lot of inquiries, um, I couldn't get any uh, help from anywhere, even to, uh, the consumer protection. So they said uh, they could not help me. So finally, due to uh, uh, this agreement between both of us, so he told me that I must quit the building. And uh, he sent a caretaker, and he locked the building immediately and told me he gave me two days to remove all my property. Everything I've put there, so I had to move out and I lose everything. So I don't know whether there's a forum where you can present such a matter to. Uh, Tom, when, when did this happen? Uh, it uh, happened this, this year, I think it's uh, uh, about three months back. Okay, just one thing I just want to ask, um, Ishmael. You, you can't, if you're a landlord, just tell people, I've increased your electricity and your water. It has to be the actual cost that yes. you... You can't just make up your own charges. That's correct. And tenants, I think, are quite entitled to ask for a copy of the bill, yes. of the water bill or the electricity bill that's been sent by the municipality. The landlord can't just decide, oh, well, I feel like charging you extra. No, when it, comes to, when it comes to services, then the amount needs to be justified. In other words, you've used a thousand and you will pay a thousand and it's not you've used a thousand and you will pay three thousand. It doesn't work. Because oh, I, I was a bit short myself, so I'll knock you up for a couple of exactly. extra grand. I can't do unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, that's not allowed. With the rental as well, the rental can only be increased in terms of your agreement. So usually, when you have a business premises, from understand this is a business premises. Was it a signed lease agreement or was it a verbal lease? Um, it was a signed agreement. A signed agreement. Okay, do you still yeah. have a copy of that agreement? Yeah, I have it. And all the slips which I paid the rent from the first day I took the shop mm. to when I left. Okay, so you see, there's, there are a few issues that come up in this one. Number one is obviously, have you been paying the rentals? From, from what you tell me, you have been paying the rentals. So you've been, yeah, I've been paying the rent. I've got all the slips from the first day I took the shop. Yeah, you've been bringing your side of the agreement. You then go forward to say that they, the caretakers simply locked you up. You got two days' notice and then they right. locked everything up. That's not allowed in law. Okay, even if the lease agreement says that the landlord can take occupation under whatever circumstances, he can only evict you on a court order. Okay. So, in other words, he must have issued a summons against you. He must have gotten a judgment against you. Or he must have launched an application to have you evicted. And that can't happen in two that, days. Unless it's an urgent application. And from what I see, from what I've been told, they are not grounds for an urgent application here. Right, so what he's done is essentially unlawful. To simply lock you out is unlawful. You, unfortunately, because it was three months ago, you've lost your, your legal recourse of what we call a spoliation order. Right, That's where if someone unlawfully deprives you of access to a premises, you can launch a court application to have you returned to that premises. Now, because it was three months ago, I imagine the landlord most likely has a new tenant in there. As such, the court will not grant you a spoliation application. That, however, does not stop you from claiming damages against the landlord. Now, you did ask as to what forum is available to you. My advice would be this goes to court. You need to issue a damages summons against the landlord.
for the fact that you were locked out. You were unable to trade for the deposit. I, I think you said he you said did he pay. Spent you, you, you spent 120000 spent $120,000. What was that money spent on? So yeah, the if total we can, money I spent on was uh, $110,000. $110,000. Mm. So now we've got to look at what that money was actually spent on. If we can find that the landlord has been unjustifiably enriched, in other words, his premises has been made better, that he can now get a higher rental based yeah, on your $110,000, then you've got a damages claim for that as well. So that's your forum. You you need to launch a summons against your landlord. So you need to get an attorney, basically. Yeah, I would suggest you uh, you find an attorney that in That deals with rental properties. That deals a lot with rental properties. If you want, you can contact my offices. We do have a correspondent in Johannesburg that does okay. extremely good work up there, and I'm happy okay. to give you his details. Okay, I'll be very grateful. Okay, Atam, I'm going to put you back to my producer. He'll give you all Ishmael's contact details. You can get hold of, <clears throat> excuse me, you can get hold of him and he'll give, put you in touch with somebody in Johannesburg that can help you. Okay, thank you. All right, Ishmael. Oh, Atam, sorry. Good luck <laughs> to you. I'm, I'm reading my script over here. Atam, hold okay. the line and um, my producer <clears throat> will give you Ishmael's contact details. Okay, thank you. All right, you good luck thank to you. you Atom. Thanks, Atam. Good yeah. night. Right, off to Pretoria. Andy, good evening. Hello, Andy. Hello, good evening. Hi there. Hi. How can we help you, Andy? Yeah, I, I have a problem. Uh, there's been a sewage spill in my store from upstairs, and uh, the, the landlord uh, doesn't seem to, you know, want to do anything about it. He's let the place upstairs, and, uh, you know, the, the sewage system doesn't seem to be right, and it spills right into the, the basement next door from which it comes into my store. That can't be very pleasant. No, it's terrible. I can't work. For how long is this? How, how long is? How, sorry, how long has this been going on? It's for past five months five now, months. and then they, you know it first happened in February, and then I think in March he had this pearl uh, taken out. Uh, then it, a month later, it's, it did it again, and so much damage has been done already that we can't even get into the storm because it's okay. flooded. And you tell me when when it happens, who's cleaning that up? Uh, he he cleans it up on the next uh, on the uh, the basement next door, mm -hmm. and he doesn't come and clean on my side. He says that uh, you know he sends the guys, and the guy says no, uh, they can't do it because the pump can't uh, pull up. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so in other words, so you, so, yeah, so you were actually stuck with that with the cleanup cost of that as well. Yeah, yeah. and the damage to his and goods. The damage. So you say that yeah. it's a storeroom that's being damaged. Yeah. Now, you know, when I ask him, is he insured? I don't know. I shouldn't have asked him that. He says, no, he's not insured. I should have just said, look, uh, you, this, these are the damages that have been done. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he just ignored it. Now, uh, what uh, what look, claim the, have the, I? The, the fact that, that he's not insured, that's not your problem. That's not. Yeah, you I know, just realized If, if he was now. insured, then it would make things easy on him, as his insurance would most likely have covered something like this. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's not insured doesn't mean that he has no liability. If it's a sewage problem, that's not something that you as a tenant can be responsible for. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if it's coming from above your unit. Uh, is there another tenant above you? Or is yes, it actually, empty? what has happened is I used to be occupying the place above as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And then he asked me to, uh, you know, empty that uh, top because he wants to renovate and uh, lease it out. Yes. And then, uh, you know, I was given the key for the store downstairs adjoining the basement and uh, you know we moved all our stock in there and um, 
for the past year it, it had been all right and then uh, from february this year we started having this problem because we started letting it out in i think it was in january and yeah. as these people started using the uh, toilets and so on you know the the seat has been uh, you know unending yeah okay so the first thing is you say that you have the cleanup costs Yes. The second thing is it's a storage room that is now being f- essentially flooded. Yeah. Are you still able to use the storage room or, or have no, you no, needed you to store somewhere else? No, you can't even get in there. It's terrible. Okay, so that's obviously you are, you or you now have a decrease in beneficial occupation of the premises. Yes. That's your second grounds over there. And the third grounds is damages. You say that you had stock in the storeroom. So obviously yes. some of your stock has been damaged, right? So that is essentially a damages claim that you have. You can quantify those damages. You can say that I've spent X amount having to clean up the premises. I am losing X amount of square meters because I'm unable to use the storeroom. And I've lost stock to the value of Y. You have a very clear damages claim against your landlord. Right. In fact, I would go so far as to say that you even have grounds to cancel the lease agreement. Because you are unable to use the premises for what you intended. Yeah. I'm not well, sure actually, that's the step that you want to take. He tells me I've got no take. lease uh, anymore because, you know, uh, I, I'm staying there free. Uh, because, uh, you, you know, I, 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 I took it because he was uh, taking my place on the top and he gave me mm-hmm. the bottom one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he says, no, you should have moved out of the place. So I, I, I don't know where I stand with the, the lease, which uh, also is what has happened is that the, the uh, new owner of the building it took over about a year, year and a half ago. And uh, he tried to tell me that, look, you've got no lease. I told him, mm-hmm. no, I have. I, I wrote to the previous uh, landlord that I, I, I want to renew the lease. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you, if you had a written lease which has come to an end and you want to renew, we will then have to look at what the terms of your renewal are. You know what? What clause of your lease agreement allows you it to renew, and I, under I had to what conditions? Notify them uh, in writing that I want to renew the lease, which I did. Okay. Uh, what? What's the term there? How? How long before do you need to notify them? Uh, Have I you complied with that? Um, uh, uh, Thirty days before the expiry. And you've done that? Yes, I've done that. Okay. If if that's the if that's the clause of your lease, and you've done that, then yes, your lease will still be good. Right. And as such. You definitely have a damages claim. And even if you didn't have a lease, if you were on a month-to-month lease agreement mm-hmm. and your stock was damaged and you were you know, stuck with a cleanup cost, again, you will have a damages claim. Yes. So you definitely have recourse against your landlord here. Yeah. Right, right. Andy, can I ask you, did they just tell you that you didn't have a lease after you told them you had a problem with the sewage? Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's the time, at the time when they took over the place. Oh, okay. Then after that, you know, I wrote to them. Uh, you know, they wrote me a letter that your uh, your, your lease expired, um, and it it was, uh, you know, they made it uh, uh, they made it appear as if you know the signature of the the the, the person in charge. It was it was no signature of the person. So I, I accepted the letter without prejudice to saying that look, uh, my lease is not expired, and uh, this. Um, uh, letter is not valid. No. Andy, remember, if your lease agreement says that you as a tenant mm-hmm. have first right of renewal, provided you give 30 days notice, and you've done that, then you don't yes. need your landlord's signature. Right. Right? As long as you've complied with the terms of the lease, then the contract will continue. 
Right. Because no, that actually, was the initial he, he, It seems he's uh, accepted that he's continuing because he's been accepting my rentals for the past uh, two years, year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. And only thing is the past two months I haven't paid because, you know, we haven't been able to work there. Mm-hmm. You've got to be mm-hmm. careful about yeah, that, You've got to be very careful about not paying. Okay. Right. Uh, if, I'm not sure if your lease agreement falls under the Consumer Protection Act. I'll actually have to see the lease for that and look at who the parties involved are. And although the Consumer Protection Act does allow you to set off rentals, there is also a procedure involved. It's not something you simply do. So be very careful with not paying rental. Okay. Because then they could have this unlawful occupation thing and and evict you. They could then say that you are materially breaching and then, you know, cancel your lease and bring an eviction application against you or a summons for money with a prayer for ejectment. So be very careful about that. But from what you've told me, it does seem that you definitely have a lease, uh, a damages claim against your landlord in terms of your lease. Okay, so is it called a damages claim? Damages claim, yes. Okay. All right, thank you very much. Okay, okay Andy, good luck thank to you. you. Thank you very much. Good and I, any yes. suggestion who I could uh, consult a legal firm? Look, I'm, 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 I'm a pensioner, so I, I don't know. Uh, is there any uh, relief I could get from a legal aid or something? Legal aid, unfortunately not. From what you're telling me, this is a commercial lease. You were trading from the premises. Legal aid is only going to help you as a natural person. And then you also have a means test which you need to pass. In other words, if you have income above a certain amount, then they will not help you. I can't tell you stop me what that amount is now, though I can tell you that it is extremely low. Okay, what's the best legal firm to deal with this? Marlon Chevalier and Associates. <laughs> well, you're in Cape Town, though. He's in Pretoria, okay, though. Could you just tell him, Marty? What's it, Marty? No, he's he, in... It's, it's, it's Ishmael's firm, but they're in Cape Town, though, and you're going to have to move to Andy, Cape Town. Andy, give, give, okay. give my firm a call tomorrow. Okay. And let me see where I can assist you from there. Okay. Name of the firm Andy, again? Andy, don't hang up the phone. I'm going to put you back to my producer, and he'll give you all the contact details for Ishmael's office. Thank you very much. Don't hang up. Hold the line. Thanks, Andy. Good night to you. Gosh, it's one of those things about the not paying. You have to be very careful. You have to be very careful. Um, it, it, the best scenario would possibly, would, would you maybe, if you didn't want to, could you put it into a trust account just so that you say, look, I'm paying it in there until you fix the problem, or should you not ever go the route of not paying look, the, there the is, rental? There is some, some situations where you can pay the money into a trust account to say that, we have it, it's here, we don't not want to pay. It says that you're not fixing whatever it is. You haven't brought your side of the agreement, so we don't want to bring but our don't side just, of the agreement. I think maybe take advice on that from an attorney before you do it. Take advice on that from an attorney. In fact, what you should do is, or, or what the mistake that many tenants do is, they start paying the money somewhere else, or they stop paying completely, and they, when action is instituted against them, they then say, we've done this. Right? Where it's smarter to take preemptive measures you know have an attorney write to your landlord and say we understand there are certain issues let's talk let's get the issue sorted out and then come to some agreement we say we will hold on to the rental money we give a undertaking from our firm that upon the issues being sorted out we will pay the money over but don't just do it on your own don't just do it on your own you could find yourself on the street being evicted that is the problem. Don't do that. Extremely right. dangerous. Philemon in Rosettenville, we've just got a few minutes. If you can be quite quick. Okay, yes. Hello. Hi. Uh, speaking to Philemon, um, what I want to find out now is that um, somewhere in 2005, uh, our building went under administration. 
And uh, while we were under administration, uh, the administrator requested that uh, we should uh, get a loan so that uh, can assist us to uh, paint the building. But uh, we discovered that he actually uh, borrowed more than what he, uh, he agreed, which was uh, 300000 But he actually ceded the debt of the building. And uh, somewhere in um, 2008, when he wanted to extend the, what, the administration, and uh, we actually went to court whereby the matter was struck off the roll so that he never uh, extended the, what, the administration. So what happened afterwards is that... Um, that company where he borrowed the money, it got liquidated. Now, uh, I see our last payment was made in 2008. Um, well, last year we received the court summons that we should pay that money that uh, was actually uh, owing. Um, do we still have to pay? Yeah, we're listening, uh, Philemon. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. What I want to find out is um, now uh, somewhere uh, after four years, now we get the, the court summons, you know saying that uh, we still owe uh, those people, although that company was liquidated. Okay, the first thing that I'm going to look at there, because that was quite a quick story you told there. Now, you say that the building went under administration. After administration, you then moved on, and the administrators took out a loan to paint the building. After that the administration order came to an end because it, it was set down to court to be extended but unfortunately it was then struck off the roll and administration was then over yes am i correct yes then it's now four years later and the company that you got the money from has now said that you owe the money yes the okay. company the, went into liquidation company, at the time yeah okay the first thing yes. that i'm going to uh, look at these it was uh, somewhere in 2007, it was liquidated. Okay. All right, okay. Philemon, we're running out of time, so just let give Ishmael a quick few yeah. minutes just to answer just you. very quickly, the first thing I'm going to look at is, you said it was four years ago. We've got to look at prescription. Remember, a debt can only be due for three years. Yes. So that's your first port of call. Is, is it due less than three years or more than three years? The it's second more than thing, three years. Yeah, so be, be, very, be very specific on that as to who's instituting the claim against you, right? Yes. The second thing from there is, if the company was liquidated, yes. what, were the debts sold? Who took over the debts? Is there trustees? Are there liquidators? We've got to find out who's instituting action against you. Okay. From from the information that you give me, I, I don't have enough to answer the question. But yes. I'm, but if you know, if you're happy to take out details, I'm more than happy to speak to you about this tomorrow. Okay. You know, and I can get more information. I can probably assist you more from there. All right. All right, Philemon, don't hang up the phone. <coughs> Just keep holding on. I'm going to put you back to my producer. He'll give you Ishmael's contact details, and you can call him in the morning, okay? Uh, all right, thanks. Thanks, Philemon. Okay, thank you. Good okay, night bye. to you. Gosh, well, we had a busy evening this evening, Ishmael. Gosh, just disappeared. Well, my thanks once again to Ishmael Mohammed. He is an associate at Marlon Chevalier Associates, and they practice here in Cape Town. He's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Ishmael, thank you very much indeed for your time. Karen, thank you for having me. I hope I can be back soon. And uh, you're going to have a very busy morning tomorrow, by all accounts, too. <laughs> that seems to be the truth. <laughs> well, we'll be talking more property rental law on Monday, the 30th of September. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in the program next week, we'll be discussing labor law with Michael Bagram. That's The Law Report next Monday, the 2nd of September. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after 9 with Health Matters, so join me then. If you'd like to contact me, you can do so via email on law at SAFM. 
safm.co.za. You can also find the show on Facebook. Take a look at Law on SAFM. And just a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page. And if you'd like any of them, please post your request on Facebook. And please remember to include your email address so I can email those to you. And you can also ask for those documents on law at safm.co.za. Well, Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.